0: Dr. Jonathan, I'm pretty sure he'd have you call him Jonathan. Um, Jonathan, please, yeah, yeah, let's call him Jonathan. Jonathan is the director of the Georgia Southern Wesley Foundation on both the Statesboro and Savannah campuses, um, and he'll tell you a bit about that, but the United, the Wesley Foundation is our United Methodist campus ministry uh, on our campuses. We've got students at Georgia Southern here from our church, um, and we're so glad that, that they're leading and sharing the gospel with students there. Jonathan uh, serves there. He has since 2015. Uh, He is married to the Reverend Stephanie Smith, who's the associate pastor at Statesboro First United Methodist Church. They have two children, uh, Addie and uh, Lily Grace, and they are wonderful children who are friends of my own children. Um, And so I'm glad that that Jonathan is with us today to share the word. Uh, Not only is he a wonderful pastor, a wonderful, strong leader, a great friend and encourager, Uh, and brings me joy whenever I get to spend time and talk to him. So I know that he'll be a blessing to you. So why don't you join me in giving a wonderful Glenville United Methodist Church welcome to Jonathan.
1: Thank you, Dr. Smith. (laughs) Dr. Smith. Smith. You know, I'm I'm afraid uh, for anyone to call me Dr. Smith um, for the fact that I might be on a plane and someone would say, this man's having a heart attack, and I have a moment to say, let us pray. You know, I'm just... (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, it is so good to be with you this morning. Again, my name is Jonathan Smith. I'm the director of the Wesley Foundation at Georgia Southern University, um, where I have the privilege and the opportunity to represent you on the college campus. Uh, Georgia Southern University is now uh, roughly 27,000 students strong. Uh, About 20,000 are on the Statesboro campus. There are another... and a half thousand on the Armstrong campus, and there's actually a third campus that we're trying to figure out, um, and that's in Hinesville, um, and there's about 800 students there on that campus. So 27,000 students um, are within within this corner of the state, and that's not even accounting for other institutions um, of higher education here in southeast Georgia, but we have a tremendous opportunity as the church to make an impact for the kingdom of God on the lives of those who are between the ages of 18 and 24 by being on campus. Now, I want to do just, I need your help this morning. Um, You're an interactive crowd. You have a great spirit. Um, There's a great fellowship here, so I need your help. Is that okay, choir? Can I have your permission? Okay, all right. Sometimes everyone out here is cool and the choir will object, and that's never a good scene, never a good scene. Okay, so here's the deal. If you're under the age of 18, would you raise your hand? Man, thank you for being here this morning. Um, you are not only the future of the church, but the present of the church. You have gifts and abilities that your church needs today um, to make a difference here in Glenville and all around the world. So thank you for being here today. Your presence is appreciated. All right. Anybody between the ages of 18 and 24, 18 and 24 year olds, where are where you at? All right. I know, right? Like when you're in, listen, when you're in this age group, and this is, this is, these are, you're my people because I work with you all the time, when you're between the ages of 18 and 24, somebody says, raise your hand if you're between 18 and 24, everybody goes, because generally, generally, it's like you're about to hear some harsh things, right? Um, you're about to hear some negative things, and, and it feels real uncomfortable. All right, 18 to 24-year-olds, um, if you're here, um, that means this church has a future. Do you know that? That means that you have leaders who are emerging not only inside your church but inside your community and who are going to make a difference for the kingdom of God here in this place. I get to preach at about 30 different churches every year. It's amazing how few have 18 to 24 year olds who are helping them make a difference for the kingdom. And if churches don't have that demographic, they will slowly decline until they have to close their doors. So I'm so glad that you're here this morning. All right, is there anyone in the congregation this morning that was once between the ages of 18 and 24 years old? All right, all right. So, so there was this time when you were between the ages of 18 and 24 four years old for the vast majority of you. Um, and I want you to think just for a few minutes about those six years of your life, age 18 to 24. Um, and I want you to think about what happened in those six years. Just think. we don't need a list think about the big moments okay most of us between the ages of 18 and 24 um, we we graduated high school right 18 to 24 year olds you're graduating high school Um, some of you uh, began a job you got that first job where you joined the military and you began a career there others of you you went off to college and you spent four years studying um, studying for a piece of paper that allows you to do something whenever you turned 23, year old, 23 years old and graduated from college, right? Some of you got married in those six years. The vast majority of you, I would guess, got married between those six years. The vast majority of you probably settled on a career, and a few of you even had kids between the ages of 18 and 24. What I want to suggest to you this morning church is that this period of life between the age of 18 and 24 is the most crucial period of life for determining who a person will be for the rest of their life. And so for us to have the opportunity as a church to have college students experience um, and, and come into contact with the gospel is vital, not only for the future of the church, but for the present of the church. Because without this generation of college students, there is no future for our church. There's no future for any church if we fail to have this generation encounter the gospel. The mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I would suggest to you that the fastest way to transform the world is to transform the hearts and lives of college students. Because when they leave campus... They go on to become business leaders in their communities. When they leave the college campus, they go to become your doctors and nurses and lawyers and mayors and leaders in the local government. If we can make an impact on the college campus, we can transform the world. College students matter to God and they matter to the future and they matter to the kingdom of God. I can't express to you how important it is for us to be on the college campus. And I want to thank you for paying your apportionments. Now, usually it's the district superintendent that says that. um, and And that's because, you know, we'll send out an award later. It's a piece of paper you can put up on the wall. But I say thank you for paying your apportionments because you allow us to be on the college campus. Without your faithfulness in giving, I wouldn't have an opportunity. Our ministry wouldn't even have an opportunity to exist. So thank you for what you're already doing. And I would encourage you um, over the next uh, few days, weeks, months, years to begin praying for 18 to 24-year-olds, to begin praying for um, the college campus and praying for campus ministers who are there sharing the gospel in this critical season of a young person's life. So this morning, what I want us to do is to look at a story of a young person who has an encounter with God and whose life Um, is radically redirected. It's radically changed. And so we're looking um, in the book of Jeremiah at Jeremiah chapter 1 beginning at verse 4. Oh, look at that. Whoa. All right. And we're going to walk through this text, so just hang with me. The words will stay up on the screen so that you can follow along with where we are. So um, Jeremiah is a prophet, uh, becomes a prophet of God, um, but he becomes a prophet of God in a very particular season in the life of ancient Israel. It's a time when there's lots of confusion, there's lots of rumors of war, um, there's lots of political intrigue that's happening, um, and God speaks to this young man in the midst of these radical cultural changes that are happening all around him as the kingdom of Babylon is about to invade The kingdom of Judah and take the people off into captivity. So would you hear these words from Jeremiah? The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now stop right there. Stop right there. Did you catch what God is saying? To Jeremiah. Did you hear what God said to Jeremiah first? Before he says anything else to Jeremiah, God says to him, Jeremiah, you matter. Your life has meaning, your life has value, your life has purpose. Jeremiah, you matter. Jeremiah, you matter so much that I was intimately involved in knitting you together in your mother's womb. I was the one who put you and formed you and created you. The world may say, Jeremiah, that you don't matter, but I, God Almighty, the one who spoke the stars into being and the universe into life, say, Jeremiah, that your life matters. I formed you and I set you apart. You matter. Friends, we tend to read Scripture like it's a gift for people who live long before us, but these two verses are a gift to us today. Because I believe that what God would say to us and have us understand before we hear or understand anything else is that our lives matter. Your life matters. It's of tremendous value and tremendous significance. Your life matters. You were created by God Almighty. And not so that He could stand back and say, wow, look at what I did. But He created you for a purpose and for a reason. God has a plan for your life. Jeremiah will write those words down later on in his book God has a plan for you and a purpose for you you may not know it yet you might be young and you might be thinking what does God want to do with me I live in Glenville well I don't really live in Glenville I live in Gooseneck that ain't quite Glenville (laughs) I'm glad y'all get Gooseneck jokes that's awesome all right I don't know what God would want me for what would he use me for? What purpose could he have for my life? I'm just over here in this weird little corner of the world and I don't know how I would ever be of value to the kingdom of God. Listen, these are exactly the same feelings that Jeremiah has. Jeremiah says, listen, I'm, I'm this guy and I'm young and I live in, in, in this weird corner of the world in a country that doesn't really matter on the global scale. My world is being turned upside down. How in the world... Can my life matter? God says, Jeremiah, listen. Before I formed you, I gave you a purpose. I I have already appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Your life has purpose. You may not know it yet. You might haven't uncovered it yet. But your life has meaning and purpose and value to the kingdom. It's going to take some discernment. It's going to take some prayer. It's going to take some diving in and getting your hands dirty and your feet wet to try and figure out what it is the meaning of this is. But if you'll do it, God will, re- will reveal to you His plan and His purpose for your life. For us, friends, if we want to know God's purpose for our life, we have to lean into God's presence. We have to lean into Him and say, God, show me what it is that you would have me do. Show me what you would have me be. Show me how it is that you would have me order my life so that I can live into the purpose that you created me for. Now, Jeremiah, like so many people, and probably like me if God were to speak to me in this way, responds to God, and he says these words. Follow along with me in, at verse 7, it's, uh, excuse me, verse 6. Jeremiah says, Alas, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak, for I am too young. So God has spoken to Jeremiah saying, Jeremiah, you matter. I have a plan. I have a purpose for your life. And Jeremiah does what we do so often. He says, that's great, God. I love that you love me. I love that you created me purposefully. I love that you have a plan for my life, but surely you don't mean me. Surely you don't mean I am the one that you created to be prophet to the nations. Surely you don't mean that I am the one that's supposed to go across town and tell that hurting family about God's love. Surely I'm not the one, God, who's supposed to share my faith with that person in the grocery store that I'm standing in line behind. Surely not me, God. I don't know how to speak. I'm not eloquent. I mean, we have a preacher, and you know Jim's paid to do that stuff, right? You don't mean me. Jeremiah when he hears God's call on his life immediately disqualifies himself and I'm afraid that we do the very same thing all too often. That when God says, "I created you, I formed you, have a purpose for your life," we say, "That's great, God, but I don't think you actually mean me. I am I, I don't have enough free time for that. I, I I I don't have words. I don't know how it is that I'm supposed to do what you're calling me to do God and if that's you this morning I want you to know that you're in good company because not only did Jeremiah feel that way but so did Moses and so did David and so did Gideon and I'm sure Paul felt that way and the disciples felt that way as well that they weren't qualified to do the thing that God was calling them to do but that doesn't change the fact that God sees them not only for where they are too young, too old too rich, too poor. God also sees their potential for what they could be and how they could make a difference. Now, I'm a dad, and I've got two little girls, Addison, who's who's 10 years old, and she's not quite that tall because she's a gymnast. Um, she's this tall, um, and then I have Lily Grace, who's six, and who's approaching, and maybe she's not that short. Maybe she's a little bit taller. Anyways, um, I have Lily Grace, who is six, and Addison has been coordinated her entire life. Like, um, From the moment we put her into a tumbling class, she just started doing flips and walking on her hands. It was absolutely incredible. Incredibly gifted as an athlete. Um, Very, very coordinated. Lily Grace? Not so much. Not so much. She can trip over her own feet. She runs into things that she doesn't see that are very close to her. Anyways, um, Lily Grace, not quite as coordinated. Whenever Addie was learning how to ride a bike, um, we were living at New Hope uh, Church uh, out in in, uh, Bullock County. and I put Lily Grace on the bicycle seat in the long driveway that went around the church. And I gave her one push. She started pedaling and never stopped. Just like, whoop, learn how to ride a bike today. Just that easy. About three months ago, Lily Grace came to me and said, Dad, uh, all the other kids in the neighborhood are riding bikes, and I want to learn how to ride my bike today. I want you to take the training wheels off, because today's the day I'm going to learn how to ride my bike. So, all right, Lily Grace, let's learn how to ride your bike. And so I take her out into the into the, um into the street, um, which whoever thought the street was a good place to learn how to ride a bike? I don't know. It's not a great spot, but I did it because you know I'm a dad and I, and I don't think sometimes. So I put her, I put her on the bicycle and she's got the helmet on because safety first and um, you know yeah. So I put her on the bicycle and I give her the push and she pedals for a solid 15 feet before making a 90-degree turn to the right, running into the curb and doing a flip over the front of the bicycle. I mean, she was just, like, in pieces on top of the bicycle, and she just jumped up real fast, like, what just happened? And she was, you ever see a child that's so stunned they're on the edge of tears but they haven't started crying yet? And so she's there doing this thing, and I grab her and I'm like, you did so good! And she's like, okay. Um so. <laughs> So I put her back on the bike, she pedals for about 10 feet the opposite direction, makes another right hand turn into the back of my truck, and um, that was the end of Lily Grace's first day, that was the end, you know, and I was like, you did so good, you've got such great potential, and she's like, "Mm -mm, no I don't, disqualified, never going to learn how to ride a bike dad, never going to learn how to do it, so we put up the bike for the day, the next day, Lily Grace, everybody else is riding their bikes. Lily Grace is like, Dad, I won't learn how to ride my bike today. I was like, are you sure? Yesterday didn't go good. Um, she's like, I'm sure today's the day. All right, let's do it. So this time, uh, because I'm a loving father, uh, what I did was we got out of the street um, and we went to the space between uh, the, the the house and the neighbor's, ooh, our house and the neighbor's house, which is about as wide as this sanctuary is. Um, and we have a brick fence that's a little bit, a little bit past that back wall there. Um, but nice, big, open, grassy space. And all you have to avoid in this big grassy area uh, is a tree that's back here on the left-hand side, about three quarters of the way back. Giant oak tree. Can't miss it, right? <laughs> Lily Grace is on the bike, helmet on. I give her, you know, give her the push. She starts to pedal, and she does this weaving thing, like like she does this weaving thing, and she makes it all the way back to the back fence. And it's like, Lily Grace, you did so good. Congratulations. She's like, I did it. I'm like, so proud of you. And then she gets back on her bike. And I'm like, all right, ride it back this way. Gets on her bike. She pushes off, pedals about 15 feet right into the side of our brick house. And she was so undone, so undone by this, that she whipped the helmet off the top of her head, threw it on the ground, and then kicked it across the yard. I mean, we were having a scene, y'all. Like, neighbors were watching. It was real embarrassing for a minute there. And Lily Grace is absolutely done at this point. I cannot, I will not ever learn how to ride a bike. I quit, Dad. I said, all right, go inside. Calm down. We'll try again another day. Well, the next day, <laughs> do you see how this goes? I promise this is the last day. Um, <laughs> the next day, instead of having Lily Grace learn how to ride the bike in the street or on the side of our house, I took her to Mill Creek Park. You ever been to Mill Creek Park in Statesboro? Um, the back parking lot there is like 20 acres big, right? And there's three light poles. I was like, Lily Grace, today's the day. Today's the day. Put her on the bike, helmet on tight. We've had some accidents. I give her the push, and she starts pedaling. And she rode that bike all over Mill Creek Park. Two days before, she never would have believed that she had the potential to have that much fun or that much joy on a bike. But I believed in her because I saw not only her present, where she was, but also her potential. God does the same thing, y'all. God doesn't just see you where you're struggling in your life right now. He sees where you could be if you would trust Him. If instead of leaning into your weakness and leading with your weaknesses when God calls you, if you'd lean into God's strength, He would take you on a new adventure to do something that you never would have experienced if you hadn't have trusted Him. But it takes leaning into God's strength instead of leading with your weakness. Church, we have led with our weakness and all the reasons why we can't for far too long. I believe that God's desire is for a revival to take place on our campuses and in our churches? And that begins with believers saying, you know what? I may not feel like I'm called to be a prophet of God. I might feel like I'm too young or I don't have the words to speak, but God, I'll trust You and I'll lean into Your strength and I'll let You do a work through me that I never could do on my own. And I believe that if we begin doing that, we would see things change in our churches and in our communities. And our world might just be transformed. So look at how God responds to Jeremiah's response to him. Jeremiah's just said, I'm too young. I I don't know how to speak, God. How am I going to do this thing that you've called me to? And God says to him in response, don't say to me that you're too young. Jeremiah, you must go to everyone I send you to and and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I'm with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then look what God does. This is incredible. God just doesn't say, hey, get on out there and figure it out, bro. He, he's, he does something. He equips Jeremiah for the call that he has in his life. He says, then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build up and plant. God says to Jeremiah, listen, Jeremiah, I am with you as you go. I'm with you as you go about doing the things that I've called you to do. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus echoes this very same thing in the Great Commission, right? Go, therefore, into the world, making disciples, baptizing and teaching, right? And lo, I am with you, Jesus says, even until the end of the age. Sorry, that was my King James self coming out. God is with us as we go. As we do the work that we were created to do. As we make the difference that God created us to make in the world. God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you matter. I have a purpose for your life. And if you'll lean into my strength instead of leading with your weakness. I will see you through. I will rescue you when you are lost and broken. I'll give you words to speak when you don't know what to say. I'll give you the courage to walk into places that you never thought you would see yourself going if you'll just trust me. Church, we've got to stop disqualifying ourselves from God's mission and from God's plan. Young adults, 18 to 24 year olds in this room, you matter. God created you with a plan and a purpose. And God's desire is that you would listen to His call and go the places that He would show you to make the difference that He created you to make. Don't disqualify yourself anymore because you think you're too young or you're not prepared. Again, Moses didn't think he was prepared. Gideon didn't think he was prepared. None of the great heroes of the Scripture felt prepared to do the thing that God called them to do. But when they trusted God, God worked a mighty work through them. So this morning, church, I just want to encourage you to think about your own life and to think about how God has been speaking to you, what He's been calling you to do. And I want you to ask yourself if you've been disqualifying yourself from His call, from His will, and from His purpose on your life. Have you been saying, surely not me, God? When God's been saying, no you, no you. I pick you. I chose you. I created you for this. And if that is you, I want to encourage you this morning to step out in faith, which is a courageous act, and to say yes to so that thing that God's calling you to do, that person that God's calling you to be, instead of just qualifying yourself from God's mission. Ooh, from God's call. So this morning, as we go to God in prayer, I'd invite you to start saying, yes, Lord, instead of not me, God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for the privilege that we have to gather in this place. We thank You, Lord, that You created us for a purpose and to be a part of Your plan. We thank You, Lord, that You see us for who we could be and not just for who we are right now. And we pray, God, that we would have the courage to lean into Your strength instead of leading with our weakness. Jesus, help us to be courageous this morning as we say yes to Your plan and purpose for our life as we say yes to those things that You're calling us to do, those differences that You're calling us to make in this place and wherever You would take us. And we pray, God, this morning that we could carry Your Gospel back to our homes, back to our offices and our jobs, back to the grocery store so that all would know the grace that we've experienced for ourselves so that others would come to understand that they were created for a purpose that they have been set apart and that God has a plan for their life too. Bless us and keep us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.